This is episode 450 of the AWS podcast, released on May 30th, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back and I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by Jim Daniel, who is our AWS Public Health Leader. He's done some pretty interesting things that we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thank you. So Jim, we have a, a lot to cover, but before we get started, let's maybe take a step back and, and get a bit of an understanding of the situation. So Jim, can you set the stage for the state of public health agencies in the US and the impact that COVID-19 has had on their systems? Yeah, so in in the United States, public health is actually um, delegated to our states. We don't, although we do have the Centers for Disease Control, really all of the authority for public health actions happens at the state level um, and sometimes even at the local level as well. So we have 50 public health agencies across all of our states, plus some more at territories who are all trying to do all of our public health activities. And as we started COVID, a lot of our public health systems at the state levels were very old. Uh, A lot of these were developed in the early 2000s and, and hadn't really been updated since then. And these systems were really starting to show their age. And as COVID-19 hit, we really saw the problems that were happening. Just as an example, the state public health agencies are responsible for collecting all sorts of reportable diseases, salmonella, tuberculosis, sexually transmitted diseases. And those all come through a system known as electronic lab reporting. And when COVID-19 hit, we were seeing volumes of COVID-19 where the number of reports coming within just a few days were more than what a state public health agency would have received over the entire year for all of the other reportable conditions. So there was a huge volume issue that was happening. And you know these systems were obviously overrun. State public health agencies had been underfunded for years and really just trying to step up and you know get these systems ready for COVID-19 was a major issue in the beginning, especially um, with our electronic lab reporting systems and also the disease surveillance systems. The electronic lab reporting systems actually feed into what we call our disease surveillance systems, where our epidemiologists actually do their investigations, including things like contact tracing. And contact tracing, as you know, is very important for COVID-19. And really, none of the states had systems that were able to scale up their contact tracing. And you know, we, we had to really step in and, and help out with, with that. With that the contact tracing as well. I, th- I think it's interesting is that, um, you know, I think as, as cloud practitioners or, or, or advisors, we've, we've talked about the benefits of cloud being elasticity for as long as a cloud has existed. It's one of the sort of fundamental points. And I think that a lot of organizations kind of got it from a, an academic perspective, but, uh, you know, talking about the numbers you're talking about, it became real. Uh, for a lot of organisations. And, you know, we had a lot of governments who struggled to go to the cloud pre-pandemic, but suddenly they had a, a deep, compelling event that they had to address. How long did it take to to migrate to cloud to solve some of these sort of critical, immediate issues? 
Yeah, so we were able to step in very quickly and with in the early stages with the systems like electronic lab reporting and disease surveillance, we were able to migrate those systems to the cloud for some of our state customers within a matter of weeks. And we also had some very forward-thinking customers who were thinking about the next problem, which was immunization information systems, knowing that the immunization information systems, which are also run at a state level, would not be able to handle the volume of COVID-19 vaccinations coming in. And so we are actually um, helping states migrate their immunization information systems as well. And, and all of those we were able to do within a matter of, of a few weeks. Well, I think it's it's an interesting point because there's a, a whole value chain there. And if, you, if you're just responding to one crisis after another, it's difficult to get ahead of it. Whereas, as you say, if you know you have a rollout to do and it has to go across the entire state, um, you, you kind of have to build for that upfront rather than wait for it to, to come upon you. Yeah, that that's definitely been true with COVID. It's we've been in emergency response mode for for quite some time now, and it it's you know we know what the next problem is going to be in a few weeks, but we often don't have the resources to to put into that issue because we're still working on the current problem. So mm. that that has been a major challenge with COVID nineteen response. And one of the the things I think that's really interesting is that that mental model shift in in customers and agencies where they they moved very quickly to the cloud and realized, hey, we, we can do this. Did you see that spark, I guess, some uh, drive for future migrations and, and sort of to, to address those, as you sort of called out earlier, some of those uh, creaking systems that needed to move? Has it sort of moved things a little bit faster? Yeah, that that's a really interesting point. And as we talk to our state customers, you know, we certainly heard their concerns that they didn't want to do rip and replace and try to implement new systems during a crisis. So a, a lot of our efforts really were focused on lift and shift of their current technologies to the cloud just to give them that elasticity and scalability to handle the volume. But as as we got a little farther into COVID response, we did have some customers who said, you know, we do have some issues with COVID-19 lab reporting where now we have a whole bunch of new labs that have never done COVID-19 testing. They've never mm. reported to the state public health agency before. Perhaps that's an opportunity to try some new technology because we weren't really trying to rip and replace something that already existed then, but it was an opportunity to try to put in some new technologies for some new labs that had never really done reporting before. So we did have one state where we worked with a company run on AWS Presidia, where they were able to bring their cloud native technology and actually onboard hundreds of new labs within a month to start reporting to public health. And, you know, we knew in that that particular jurisdiction that there were hundreds of thousands of backlog COVID-19 mm-hmm. reports because you know, they, they had not been reporting. So, you know, we were able to work with companies like Persivia to really scale that up very quickly and use some cloud native technology to get those those new labs on board very fast. So we did have some some states, you know, thinking thinking about, you know, not only just migrating their legacy applications, but really trying to move to some cloud native technology. And I, I think over the next few months as states start seeing new funding sources coming in from the federal government, that, that that is definitely what they're thinking is, you know, how can we actually upgrade these systems that have been in place since 2000? Yeah, the, the things that need to be uh, uplifted are, are important, but yeah, it's in, interesting as sort of the, the emergency response created a, uh, a sort of broader tent 
of organisations that were involved in the process. It, it's been really interesting how almost across the board, it's been cloud native development. That's been really the, the speed catalyst to get things going quickly, securely and scalably for the response. It's really kind of like the, the right thing at the right time. Exactly. And you, you, you touched on sort of the, the, the next step, which is, you know, as we, as we go through this pandemic, you know, the, the vaccination has to happen to, you know, that's on an individual basis, it feels easy. Well, I just go get a vaccination. How hard could it be? <laughs> as we know, with all these things really, really hard because uh, the whole uh, process of getting the vaccine, tracking the vaccine, administering the vaccine, et cetera, it's, it's a whole thing. How do cloud technologies impact the solutions to some of these challenges? Yeah, so that that's a great question. And I just went through that challenge myself. And I consider myself fairly savvy when it comes to technology and being able to deal with websites. But I, I have to say it was still a major challenge for me to try to find a vaccine mm-hmm. appointment for myself, even even though I was eligible, you know, I, I was waiting until my cohort was eligible. And the general population opened up in DC last week, but it was very, very challenging to actually schedule a, a vaccine appointment. So, you know, some of the things that, that we've done at AWS with our customers is really focus on our, our multimodal call centers. We know that, you know, trying to navigate these complicated websites is very difficult, especially for seniors and at-risk population. So we worked with several customers to get multimodal call centers in place. And it was very important for those to be scalable. We, you know, heard from some customers who tried to use their existing call centers and had 200,000 calls within the first three hours of turning those on. (laughs) So you know, we really did need to step in and help with those call centers because it, it was really important to have what we called our high touch or concierge call services so that the that agents could actually help schedule a vaccine appointment for someone who wasn't using the website. And we didn't really, you know, provide the agents as AWS, but we worked with partners there using AWS technology for AWS Connect and our call centers to, to use that. And be able to to scale up quickly and handle handle you know working with the general public to help them schedule their vaccines. And some of the other things that we did is we looked at the process of scheduling a vaccine. We realized that it was very it was we were making it very difficult by having these phases where people were eligible and having a huge onslaught of people coming to register as soon as they were eligible. So we worked with several of our our customers as well to implement pre-registration sites where even if you weren't eligible, you could actually go ahead and pre-register. You could pre-register with our call centers as well. You didn't have to necessarily use the website, but that then actually helped the general public you know, start the process. And then on the public health side, one of the things that was really great for them with the pre-registration sites is they could use the data and those pre-registration sites to actually prioritize who they wanted to send out invitations to for the next round of vaccine availability. So if they were focused on seniors or certain geographies within their jurisdictions, they could use that pre-registration data to actually help them get, get to the right populations. So it's like the classic challenge of, of, you know, getting the data to make the good decisions with. And it sounds like this has provided a, a useful channel to do that so that there can be a bit more efficiency in the allocation. Yeah, exactly. And, 
you know, the, the multimodal piece has been great too. We, you know, really started with just agents um, on the call centers, but we also imp- implemented um, technologies like chatbot. So as we started to deal with a more technology savvy population, as we got to the younger crowd, they, they could use the chatbots as well. And I found that very useful myself as I was trying to schedule my <laughs> vaccine. I scheduled a J&J vaccine. And of course, the next day that was paused. So I was able, able to quickly get on the chatbot with the jurisdiction where I was getting my vaccination and find out, great, my vaccine's not been canceled. My appointment hasn't been canceled. I'm just going to get a Pfizer. So yeah, th- those chatbots have been really great as well. Yeah, and you can imagine, I mean, in the, the, the old days, that would have been a human being having to take the call, process it, et cetera, and you would have had to wait a while to get that answer, whereas exactly. you got to get that relief early on. Some of the other things that we're working on um, with vaccine scheduling is really looking forward to how we can make this process easier for the end user. The Biden administration made an announcement that by May 1st, there's going to be a federal initiative to really help make that scheduling process easier. One of the the major challenges as you try to schedule a vaccine appointment is there's not a single website that you can go to to schedule a vaccine appointment. You know, if you were going to schedule a flight and you didn't know what airline you wanted, you can easily go to a number of different sites and see all of the available flights, choose the ones that meet your needs. That does not happen when you're trying to schedule a vaccine appointment. You basically have a list of, you know, 50 different places that might be offering vaccine appointments. You have to go out to each of those individual sites, see if there's availability. They might have different requirements. Um, You know, some places may only be taking appointments for the elderly. Some may be focused on the general public, but you don't know that until you get to those individual sites and answer some pre-screening questions. So that's one of the major challenges of the scheduling. And, And the Biden administration has really taken that problem seriously. And they're promoting the use of some new APIs that will actually allow providers, and they're, they're focusing on pharmacies first, but allow pharmacies and other providers to actually publish through an API vaccine appointment availability. So at least from a centralized place, you can know whether or not there's going to be an appointment available before you go to that site. So I think that's going to help with the scheduling quite a bit. And then, of course, the next step will be to do something more like the airline industry and, and have have it be where you could, you know, register through the API as well and have a single site for for registering. But I think this first step is really exciting. And AWS will be working closely with our customers to implement those APIs and bring together the data across multiple disparate systems so that there's a single place that you can see vaccine appointment availability. And then I think one of the other really exciting things that we're doing with vaccine administration is we're working with a couple of different companies, including STC and Docket, to actually make the data digitally available to the consumer. As as you may know, in the United States, when you go and get your appointment, the only record that you have of that is a, a paper index card that you're given at the time of your vaccination. But we're working with several states and a couple of companies, like I mentioned, Docket and STC, so that after your vaccination, you can authenticate yourself, 
and actually query the state immunization information system and pull over a digital copy of your COVID vaccination along with any other vaccinations that you might have. So it's very useful for college students as they try to go back to, to school because there are requirements for all sorts of vaccinations to go back to school and now their COVID vaccinations will be there as well. Uh, makes it makes it a lot easier to to keep track of things and not lose that little card as well. <laughs> exactly. I saved uh, my card, but I signed up for the consumer access portal. I think a wise, very wise uh, backup strategy. We, we we talked a little bit about the the need to address certain cohorts and to make sure that the right people are getting the right immunizations at the right time. And you know, ensuring equitable vaccine implementation requires analysing data by demographic factors. What are some of the strategies to assess and monitor data on vaccine distribution and administration to ensure that communities at high risk are being served? Yeah, so it's a real challenge to to do those types of analytics because as we administer vaccines, we're not really collecting data on social determinants of health. So really, you know, all, all we have to go on is the geography of the, of the patient. So one of the things that we're doing is actually working with some companies to provide digital tools to some of the community-based organizations that are out there to actually help reach out to their particular stake, their, their memberships. Because we know in the past that you know when there's been hesitancy around flu vaccinations, that these community-based organizations are really a good way to get out to those members at risk. So we're working with these community-based organizations to provide digital tools for them so they can use things like AWS Connect, not only to have the scalability to accept calls, but have scalability to push out messages, you know, um, send out text messages, send out voice messages to their memberships about vaccine hesitancy and try to get those people who are more at risk in for their vaccinations. I think it makes it very interesting in the way that uh, we can address different cohorts and make sure they're getting the help that they need. And so what's AWS done about sort of the data analytics area and linking some of the immunization data to uh, other sort of connected information data sets to make it more effective? Yeah, so one of the big questions right now is around vaccine breakthrough. And in order to really understand vaccine breakthrough, as we have new cases of COVID-19 in a population that's well vaccinated, which we're getting very close to in the United States, it's going to be very important to try to understand, are those new cases happening in people who've been vaccinated? What vaccines do they have? And are those particular strains ones that we might need to be worried about as variants? So we are working very closely with some of our customers to bring together the immunization data with the electronic lab report and surveillance data. Those are very separate systems in the state health departments that have not historically shared data with each other. So there are things that we can do with our health data lakes, with master patient management, so that we can actually link that data together so that public health departments can actually do that type of analytics looking for vaccine breakthrough. Without that linkage, it's really going to be impossible to do because people would just be doing manual lookups on new cases in the immunization information system. And we, we know we're not going to have time for that. So you know, yeah. we're working closely with our customers to 
to prepare for that because that that is the next question. As we're approaching 50% vaccinated in the United States, vaccine breakthrough has become a, a big issue that we really want to make sure that we're monitoring. And, and I guess looking back over the, uh, the the time, I mean, it's it's over a year now that we've been dealing with a pandemic, which is scary to think about in and of itself. What has been your biggest lesson learned about managing COVID-19 vaccination data? I think that the biggest lesson that we've learned for managing COVID vaccination data and, and really all data related to COVID-19 is that we know we weren't prepared. Um, we, we thought we had a lot of the systems in place and that we're, we were ready to go. And I think the big lesson learned is that we need to, as soon as we have the breathing room, stop and take a step back and rethink what modern public health systems should look like, including immunization information systems and our surveillance systems, and really document what are those functional requirements that we were missing so that we can actually start developing and implementing those applications so that we're, we're ready for the next time. And, you know, we already know that we're probably going to have to have booster shots for COVID-19 in the fall and perhaps annually after. So we really need to make sure that we understand all all of the places where we had some missing functionality, all the all of the places where we weren't scalable, and and do what we really do very well at AWS, which is working backwards and thinking about what those systems need to do so that we can start that modernization process and really start that work to not only do our lift and shift, but really implement some cloud native technologies with our customers so that they're better prepared in the future. Yeah, I think that that preparation, that elasticity and that that customer experience is is just so vital and uh, I think it's front of mind for everyone now in a way that it that it just wasn't before so it's really that that catalyst for change. Jim thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today and sharing what you've learned. Great thank you for your time. And thanks everyone for listening we do love to get your feedback at podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it and until next time keep on building. <laughs>